the Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. Hello, my friends. You know, Transformers are imaginative toys that change from one thing into another. This looks like a truck, and right now, it is, but watch. This becomes Optimus Prime. Optimus Prime, one of the good heroes of our day for children when they play. And he can stand all by himself just like the truck was a little while ago. I want to thank Eli Logan for letting me borrow his Optimus Prime truck and Optimus Prime himself. So you can thank him. If you want to know more about Optimus Prime, talk to Eli Logan. He knows much more about it than I do. Now, when a transformation happens, the characteristics that are hidden become visible. You didn't see Optimus Prime before. You just saw the truck. And the characteristics that are visible become hidden. You don't see the truck anymore. You see Optimus Prime. That's how a transformer works. Essentially, all the parts and all the characteristics are always present. And it's just that they show or are hidden at different times. The Apostle John had been banished to the island of Patmos by the Roman government. And while there, God gave him a profound vision about a radical transformation. Listen as Linda Matthew reads for us what John wrote. I'm reading from the Revelation of John, chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. Thank you, Linda. John writes about making everything new. That's a radical transformation. The Apostle Paul gives us a similar image in one of his letters to the church in Corinth. Listen to what he wrote. I'm reading from Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth, chapter 5, verse 17. Those who become Christians become new persons. They are not the same anymore, for the old life is gone. A new life has begun. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. This morning, as I use the word transformation, I mean it more like what both John and Paul wrote, rather than how we understand it through the toys children play with. These 12 wonderful steps we've been considering together Steps built on the teachings of the Bible not only produce health and wholeness in our life, but also put us in a place where it's possible to experience serenity. Serenity with God, serenity with ourselves, and serenity in our relationships with others. Step seven is about becoming fully willing and ready for God to transform us, or to mix the metaphors. 
Step seven is about becoming fully willing and ready for God to perform much needed surgery. In step seven, we humbly ask God to remove our shortcomings. Please join me in praying the serenity prayer as we consider our journey through step seven. God, grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, the courage to change the things we can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as we would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if we surrender to your will, so that we may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. So, understanding step seven. Let's begin with the whole truth. I am not a whole person. I'm broken. I'm dysfunctional. I'm dinged up. If I'm going to be a whole person, only God can make that happen. Any one of us who has been seriously ill or injured knows what it's like to need help. One of the most humbling experiences a person can have is to lie on a sickbed and be unable to move or care for ourselves. Even the simplest of needs must be met by another. The truth is that coming to step seven, we realize we are on a sickbed, and the only one who can meet our needs is God. Every step until now has reinforced this truth. I am unable. God is able. However, Step seven can only begin after we have finally abandoned the illusion that we can help ourselves. We've come to accept that our condition is not the result of others. I say that again, is not the result of others, but our own actions and attitudes as reactions to what we've experienced. We may have had many horrible experiences or even just one horrible experience. It is what we have chosen to do with those experiences that make us who we are. So we finally cry out to God, remove my shortcomings. Secondly, humility and how I achieved it. Now we may laugh at the craziness of that phrase, and it is crazy, but it is possible to achieve humility, but perhaps not how we might think. Once we recognize that most of our life has been devoted to fulfilling our self-centered desires, we are on the verge of achieving humility. Once we recognize that these prideful, less-than-nurturing behaviors of ours, these inadequacies and inconsistencies of ours, are out of control and not working for our good, we are on the verge of achieving humility. Living life my way makes it possible for me to achieve humility. Humility is the result of recognizing that we can't make ourselves better. Only God can do that. It is humility in us that cries out for help to God, seeking his transformation of our lives. Humility is the work of the 12-step program. 
to bring us humbly to God, who alone can make us new and whole. Here's the truth. Humility can be experienced by thoroughly doing steps one through six. By admitting that we are powerless over our addictions, our obsessions, our sins, that is step one. By coming to believe that God alone has the power to do what we cannot do, that is step two. By turning our life and our will over to God as we understand God, that is step three. I've come to call the first three steps the salvation steps. They lead us to a place where we experience peace with God. But we continue stepping by making a fearless moral inventory of our lives. That is step four. By admitting our wrongs to God, to ourselves, and to another human being. That is step five. And by waiting for God to help us to be ready and willing to be changed. That is step six. These six steps truly help us to become humble before God, as well as honest and genuine with ourselves. It is out of this relational humility and personal genuineness that we ask God to remove from our lives all the shortcomings, all the flaws, all the obsessions and addictions, all the sins, and make us new. Now comes step seven where we finally are ready and willing to let God do the work in us that only he can do and that he wants to do for our welfare. So how do we work step seven? In step seven, we take our fearless moral inventory from step four in hand and with full understanding of our need, we pray through the inventory. Here's the pattern of step seven as given to us in the Bible. First, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you, 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. This prayer is a position. A body position is helpful. An attitude position is essential. We express our anxiety to God, including our anxiety about what we think he will think of us. But we remember that he has declared he cares for us. Secondly, we read, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. We admit or confess our sin and all the other flaws of our life. We count on God's faithfulness to forgive us. He's made that promise. We want God to take away all the impurities of our life. Then thirdly, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Acts 3:19. Having humbly confessed and repented, we ask God to remove these shortcomings and transform us. Actually, make us new. The result of this prayer is peace from God, but it is also a peace within us, in our heart, how we feel, in our mind and how we think and process, and with ourselves. We have a profoundly clear example of step seven being worked in the Bible. After being confronted by the prophet Nathan about his behaviors, 
King David did step seven. David did an inventory with those things he struggled with, the sins of lust, and adultery, deception, and murder. He asked God to take away these sins, these flaws, these shortcomings in his life. And then David prayed this, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Psalm 51, 10 through 12. David asked God to create in him a pure heart. Only God can clean a heart from its failures and flaws and make it pure. David asked God to renew a steadfast spirit. Only God can help us be truly loyal to him and to his ways. David asked God not to cast him away. David knows that he deserves to be cast away, but he also knows of God's love. David asked God not to take his Holy Spirit from him. David knows that a godly life is not possible without the Holy Spirit. David asked God to restore the joy of his salvation. David knows that there is no genuine joy greater than the salvation of God. And David asked God to grant him a willing spirit to sustain him. David knows that he needs God to help him be willingly obedient from now on. You know, God is interested in forgiving us. Yes, he is. But a whole lot more. God is interested in transforming us in making us new. Do I need step seven? Yes, I need step seven because I need serenity in my life. The serenity that comes when I accept the things I cannot change. I cannot change history. I cannot change the way my childhood was. I cannot change that horrible trauma I experienced. I cannot change others. I can't change the way so-and-so treats me. I can't change the way my family is so dysfunctional. I can't change the way people drive. I need step seven because I need courage in my life. The courage to change the things I can. Courage to change the way I can manipulate others to get them to agree with me or approve of me. Courage to change the way I act out when I have feelings of being a victim. Courage to face my reactions of anger or depression or isolation because of what others have done or are doing. And I need step seven because I need wisdom in my life. The wisdom that helps me discern what I can or cannot change. The wisdom to know that another person's behavior is their behavior. It is not mine nor is it mine to own. In fact, I will become unhealthy if I take on another's behavior. The wisdom to know that my reaction to another person's behavior is mine. I must own that reaction and deal with that to become healthy and whole. The wisdom to discern the difference between staying a victim and turning my history over to God. The wisdom to discern the difference between God's love which is always love, and people love, which is sometimes love. 
Here's an example of a step seven prayer. God, my creator, I am ready and willing for you to have all of me, the good and the bad. And I give you the list of all those things. I surrender all to you in this moment. Help me to surrender all to you in every moment. I ask that you please remove from me every single defect of character that stands in the way of my usefulness to you, to your ways in me, and to your ways with other people. Grant me the strength to become like Jesus, loving, forgiving, encouraging, and winsome. Make me eager to serve and live out my life as a good news person. I pray this in the name of Jesus, your Son, whom you sent to make it possible for me and all my friends here to be transformed, forgiven, whole, and new. Amen. A final word. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is praying. My Father, if it is possible, let the cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Matthew 26, 39. In my experience, here's what people tend to focus on first. This cup of suffering. This pandemic. This pain in my belly or back or head or name the part. This broken heart. Suffering has a way of overwhelming all else. In my experience, here's what people tend to focus on next, that the cup of suffering be taken away from me. No more masks, no more distancing, no more virus, no more, no more pain anywhere. Heal my broken heart. Our desires for these to be taken away are not bad, but there is more. Here, in my opinion, is the most important and most challenging part of Jesus' prayer. I want your will to be done, not mine. God's will is most important. God's way is most important. Consider God's will and God's way for your life today and throughout this coming week. Pray, your will be done, even if it is not mine. Father, may your will be done on earth by me and by my friends at Bethany, just as your will is done in heaven. Amen. Go in peace. God who loves you goes with you.